Chapter 11 of Hopalong Cassidy's Roundup. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hopalong Cassidy's Roundup by Clarence Edward Mulford. Chapter 11 Holding the Claim. Oh, we're that gang from the Obaro, hummed Waffles sinking the branding iron in the flank of a calf. The scene was one of great activity and hilarity. Several fires were burning near the huge corral, and in them, half a dozen irons were getting hot. Three calves were being held down for the brand of the Bar 20, and two more were being dragged up on their sides by the ropes of the cowboys, the proud cowponies showing off their accomplishments at the expense of the calves' feelings. In the corral, the dust arose in steady clouds as calf after calf was cut out by the ropers and dragged out to get tagged. Angry cows fought valiantly for their terrorized offspring, but always to no avail, for the hated rope of some perspiring and dust-grimed rider sent them crashing to earth. Over the plain were herds of cattle and groups of madly riding cowboys and two cook wagons were stalled a short distance from the corral. The roundup of the Bar 20 was taking place, and each of the two outfits tried to outdo the other, and each individual strove for a prize. The man who cut out and dragged to the fire the most calves in three days could leave for the Black Hills at the expiration of that time, the rest to follow as soon as they could. In this contest, Hopalong Cassidy led his nearest rival, Red Connors, both of whom were Bar 20 men, by 20 cutouts, and there remained but half an hour more in which to compete. As Red disappeared into the sea of tossing horns, Hopalong dashed out with a whoop. Hi, you trellis-built rack of bones! Come along there! Whoop! he yelled, turning the prisoner over to the squad by the fire. Chalk up this here insignificant ward of cross-eyed perversity. And how many? He called as he galloped back to the corral. One ninety-eight, announced Buck, blowing the sand from the tally sheet. That's sure going some, he remarked to himself. When the calf sprang up, it was filled with terror, rage, and pain, and charged at Billy from the rear as that pessimistic soul was leaning over and poking his finger at a sober, horned toad. Wow! he yelled, as his feet took huge steps up in the air, each one strictly on its own course. Woof! he grunted in the hot sand as he arose on his hands and knees and spat alkali. What's the matter? he asked dazedly of Johnny Nelson. Ain't it funny? he yelled sarcastically as he beheld Johnny holding his sides with laughter. "'Ain't it funny?' he repeated belligerently. "'Of course that four-legged, knock-kneed, wobbling son of a Paiute had to cut me out. They wasn't nobody in sight but Billy. Why didn't you say he was coming? Think I can see four ways to once? Why didn't—' At this point, Red cantered up with a calf, and by a quick maneuver— drew the taut rope against the rear of Billy's knees, causing that unfortunate to sit down heavily. 
As he arose, choking with broken-winded profanity, Red dragged the animal to the fire, and Billy forgot his grievances in the press of labor. "'How many, Buck?' asked Red. One eighty. "'How does she stand?' "'You're eighteen to the bad,' replied the foreman. "'The son of a gun!' marveled Red, riding off. Another whoop interrupted them, and Billy quit watching out of the corner eye for pugnacious calves as he prepared for Hopalong. "'Hey, Buck, this here cuss was with a barred horseshoe cow!' he announced as he turned it over to the branding man. Buck made a tally in a separate column and released the animal. "'Hello, Red. Workin?' asked Hopalong of his rival. "'Some, you little cuss,' answered Red with all the good nature in the world. Hopalong was his particular side partner, and he could lose to him with the best of feelings. "'You look so nice and cool and clean, I didn't know,' responded Hopalong eyeing a streak of sweat and dust which ran from Red's eyes to his chin and then on down his neck. "'What you been doing? Plowing with your nose?' returned Red, smiling blandly at his friend's appearance. "Yah," snorted Hopalong, wheeling toward the corral. "'Come on, you pie-eating doodlebug! I'll beat you to the gate!' The two ponies sent showers of sand all over Billy, who eyed them in pugnacious disgust. Of all the locoed imps that ever made life miserable for a man, them's the worst. Is there any piece of fool nonsense they hain't harnessed me with? He beseeched of Buck. Is there anything they hain't done to me? They hides my liquor. They stuffs the sweatband of my hat with rope. They ties up my pants. They puts water in my boots and toads in my bunk. Ain't they never going to get sane? Oh, they're only kids. They can't help it, offered Buck. Didn't they hobble my cayuse when I was on him and near bust my neck? Hopalong interrupted the conversation by driving up another calf, and Buck, glancing at his watch, declared the contest at an end. You wins, he remarked to the newcomer. And now you get scarce or Billy will sure straddle your nerves. He said as how he was going to get square on you tonight. I didn't either, Hoppy, earnestly contradicted Billy, who had visions of a night spent in torment as a reprisal for such a threat. Honest I didn't, did I, Johnny? he asked appealingly. You sure did, lied Johnny, winking at Red, who had just ridden up. I don't know what you're talking about, but you sure did, replied Red. If you did, grinned Hopalong, I'll sure make you hard to find. Come on, fellas, he said. Grub's ready. Where's Frenchie? Over chewing the rag with waffles about his hat. He's lost it again, answered Red. He needs a guardian for that bonnet. The kid in salvation has jammed it in the corral fence, and Waffles has to stand for it. Let's put it in the grub wagon and see him cuss Cookie, suggested Hopalong. Sure, endorsed Johnny. Cookie'll feed him bum grub for a week to get square. Hopalong and Johnny ambled over to the corral and, after some trouble, located the missing sombrero, which they carried to the grub wagon and hid in the flour barrel. Then they went over by the excited owner and dropped a few remarks about how strange the cook was acting and how he was watching Frenchie. 
Frenchie jumped at the bait and tore over to the wagon, where he and the cook spent some time in mutual recrimination. Hopalong nosed around and finally dug up the hat, white as new-fallen snow. Here's a hat found in the dough barrel, he announced, handing it over to Frenchie, who received it in open-mouthed stupefaction. You pie-making pirate! You didn't know where my lid was, did you? You cross-eyed lump of hypocrisy, yelled Frenchie, dusting off the flour with one full-armed swing on the cook's face, driving it into that unfortunate's nose and eyes and mouth. You whitewashed chink, you! Rub your face with water and you got pancakes! Hey, what you doing? yelled the cook, kicking the spot where he had last seen Frenchie. Don't you know better than that? You live close to yourself or I'll throw you so high the sun'll duck, replied Frenchie, a smile illuminating his face. Hey, Cookie, remarked Hopalong confidentially. I know who put up this joke on you. You ask Billy who hid the hat, suggested the tease. Here he comes now. See how queer he looks? The mournful Paiute, ejaculated the cook. I'll sure make him wish he'd kept on his own trail. I'll flavor his coffee with year-old dish rags. At this juncture, Billy ambled up, keeping his weather eye peeled for trouble. Who's a dish rag? he queried. The cook mumbled something about crazy hens not knowing when to quit cackling and climbed up in his wagon. And that night, Billy swore off drinking coffee. When the dawn of the next day broke, Hopalong was riding toward the Black Hills, leaving Billy to untie himself as best he might. The trip was uneventful, and several weeks later he entered Red Dog, a rambling shantytown, one of those western mushrooms that sprang up in a night. He took up his stand at the miner's rest and finally secured six claims at the cost of 900 hard-earned dollars, a fund subscribed by the outfits, as it was to be a partnership affair. He rode out to a staked-off piece of hillside and surveyed his purchase, which consisted of a patch of ground, six holes, six piles of dirt, and a log hut. The holes showed that the claims had been tried and found wanting. He dumped his pack of tools and provisions, which he had bought on the way up, and lugged them into the cabin. After satisfying his curiosity, he went outside and sat down for a smoke, figuring up in his mind how much gold he could carry on a horse. Then, as he realized that he could get a pack mule to carry the surplus, he became aware of a strange presence near at hand and looked up into the muzzle of a sharp's rifle. He grasped the situation in a flash and calmly blew several heavy smoke rings around the frowning barrel. Well, he asked slowly, Nice day, stranger, replied the man with the rifle, but don't you reckon you made a mistake? Hopalong glanced at the number burned on a nearby stake and carelessly blew another smoke ring. He was waiting for the gun to waver. No, I reckons not, he answered. Why? Well, I'll just tell you since you asks. This year claims mine, and I'm a regular terror, I am. That's why, and seein' as it is, you better amble some. Hopalong glanced down the street and saw an interested group watching him, which only added to his rage for being in such a position. Then he started to say something, 
faltered and stared with horror at a point several feet behind his opponent. The terror sprang to one side in response to Hopalong's expression, as if fearing that a snake or some such danger threatened him. As he alighted in his new position, he fell forward and Hopalong slid a smoking colt in its holster. Several men left the distant group and ran toward the claim. Hopalong reached his arm inside the door and brought forth his rifle, with which he covered their advance. "'Anything you want?' he shouted savagely. The men stopped and two of them started to sidle in front of two others, but Hopalong was not there for the purpose of permitting a move that would screen any gunplay, and he stopped the game with a warding shout. Then the two held up their hands and advanced. "'We wants to get Dan!' called out one of them, nodding at the prostrate figure. "'Come ahead,' replied Hopalong, substituting a colt for the rifle. They carried their badly wounded and insensible burden back to those whom they had left, and several curses were hurled at the cowboy, who only smiled grimly and entered the hut to place things ready for a siege, should one come. He had one hundred rounds of ammunition and provisions enough for two weeks, with the assurance of reinforcements long before that time would expire. He cut several rough loopholes and laid out his weapons for quick handling. He knew that he could stop any advance during the day and planned only for night attacks. How long he could go without sleep did not bother him, because he gave it no thought as he was accustomed to short naps and could awaken at will or at the slightest sound. As dusk merged into dark, he crept forth and collected several handfuls of dry twigs, which he scattered around the hut, as the cracking of these would warn him of an approach. Then he went in and went to sleep. He awoke at daylight after a good night's rest and feasted on canned beans and peaches. Then he tossed the cans out of the door and shoved his hat out. Receiving no response, he walked out and surveyed the town at his feet. A sheepish grin spread over his face as he realized that there was no danger. Several red-shirted men passed by him on their way to town, and one, a grizzled veteran of many gold camps, stopped and sauntered up to him. "'Mornin,' said Hopalong. "'Mornin,' replied the stranger. "'I thought I'd drop in and say that I saw that gunplay of yourn yesterday. "'You ain't got no reason to look for a rush. "'This camp is half white men and half bullies, "'and the white men won't stand for no play like that. "'Them fellers that just passed are neighbors of yourn, "'and they won't lay abed if you needs them. "'But you wants to look out for the joints in the town.' Guess this business is out of your line, he finished as he sized Hopalong up. She sure is, but I'm here to stay. Got tired of punching and reckoned I'd get rich. Here he smiled and glanced at the hole. How are you making out? he asked. About five dollars a day apiece. But that ain't nothing when grub's so high. Got reckless the other day and had an egg at fifty cents. Hopalong whistled and glanced at the empty cans at his feet. Any marshal in this burg? Yup, but he's one of the gang. No good and drunk half the time and half drunk the rest. Better come down and have something, invited the miner. I'd sure like to, but I can't let no gang get in that door, replied the puncher. Oh, that's all right. I'll call my pardoner down to keep house till you gets back. He can hold her all right. Hey, Jake! 
he called to a man who was some hundred paces distant. Come down here and keep house till we gets back, will you? The man lumbered down to them and took possession as Hopalong and his newly found friend started for the town. They entered the Miner's Rest, and Hopalong fixed the room in his mind with one swift glance. Three men, and they looked like the crowd he had stopped before, were playing poker at a table near the window. Hopalong leaned with his back to the bar and talked, with the players always in sight. Soon the door opened and a bewhiskered, heavy-set man tramped in, and walking up to Hopalong, looked him over. Ha, he sneered. You're the gent with the festive guns that plugged Dan, ain't ya? Hopalong looked at him in the eyes, then quietly replied, And who the deuce are you? The stranger's eyes blazed and his face wrinkled with rage as he aggressively shoved his jaw close to Hopalong's face. You're runt. I'm a better man than you, even if you do wear hair pants, referring to Hopalong's chaps. You cow wrestlers make me tired, and I'm going to show you that this town is too good for you. You can say it right now that you are an ornery game leg. Hopalong smashed his insulter squarely between the eyes with all the power of his sinewy body behind the blow, knocking him in a heap under the table. Then he quickly glanced at the card players and saw a hostile movement. His gun was out in a flash and he covered the trio as he walked up to them. Never in all his life had he felt such a desire to kill. His eyes were diamond points of accumulated fury, and those whom he faced quailed before him. You scum! Draw! Please draw! Pull your guns and give me my chance! Three to one and I'll lay my guns here, he said, placing them on the bar and removing his hands. Nearer my god to thee is pretty appropriate for you just now. You seem to be a scared of your own guns. Get down on your dirty knees and say good and loud that you eats dirt. Shout out that you are too currish to live with decent men, he said even-toned and distinct, his voice vibrant with passion as he took up his colts. Get down, he repeated, shoving the weapons forward and pulling back the hammers. The trio glanced at each other, and all three dropped to their knees and repeated in venomous hatred the words Hopalong said for them. Now get, and if I seize you when I leaves, I'll send you after your friend. I'll shoot on sight now. Get! He escorted them to the door and kicked the last one out. His minor friend still leaned against the bar and looked his approval. Well done, youngster. But you wants to look out. That man, pointing to the now groping victim of Hopalong's blow, is the marshal of this town. He or his pals will get you if you don't watch the corners. Hopalong walked over to the marshal, jerked him to his feet, and slammed him against the bar. Then he tore the cheap badge from its place and threw it on the floor. Reaching down, he drew the marshal's revolver from its holster and shoved it in its owner's hand. You're the marshal of this place and it's too good for me, but you're going to pick up that tin lie, pointing at the badge, and you're going to do it right now. Then you're going to get kicked out of that door and if you stops running while I can see you, I'll fill you so full of holes you'll catch cold. You're a sumptuous marshal, you are. You're the snortingest kai-eye that ever stuck its tail atween its legs, you are. You pop-eyed wallflower, 
You once to peep to yourself or some papoose'll slide you over the divide so fast you won't have time to grease your pants. Pick up that license tag and let me see you percolate so lively that your back'll look like a ten-cent piece in five seconds. Flit! The marshal, dazed and bewildered, stooped and fumbled for the badge. Then he stood up and glanced at the gun in his hand and at the eager man before him. He slid the weapon in his belt and drew his hand across his fast-closing eyes. Cursing streaks of profanity, he staggered to the door and landed in a heap in the street from the force of Hopalong's kick. Struggling to his feet, he ran unsteadily down the block and disappeared around a corner. The bartender, cool and unperturbed, pushed out three glasses on his treat. "'I've seen you afore, up in Cheyenne, remember? How's your friend Red?' he asked as he filled the glasses with the best the house afforded. "'Well, sure enough. Glad to see you, Jimmy. What you doing away off here?' asked Hopalong, beginning to feel at home. "'Oh, just filtering round like. I'm awful glad to see you. This year ward of a town needs sifting out. It was only last week I was wishing one of your bun should show up. That ornament you just buffaloed sure raised the devil in here, and I wished I'd had somebody to prospect his anatomy for a lead mine.' but he's got a tough gang circulating with him. Ever hear of Dutch Shannon or Blinky Neary? They's with him. Dutch Shannon? Nope, he replied. Bad eggs, and not a care in how they get square. The feller you salted yesterday was a bosom friend of the marshal's, and he passed his chips last night. So? Yup, bought a bottle of ready-made nerve and went to his own funeral. Aristotle Smith was looking for him up in Cheyenne last year. Aristotle said he'd give a century for five minutes palaver with him, but he shied the town and didn't come back. You know Aristotle, don't you? He's the geezer that made fame up to Poison Knob three years ago. He used to go to town riding astride a log on the lumber flume, made four miles in six minutes with the promise of eruption when he stopped. Once when he was loaded, he tried to ride back the same way he came, and the first thing he knowed, he was three miles farther from his supper and a-slipping down that valley like he wanted to go somewhere. He swum out at Potter's Dam, and it took him a day to walk back. But he didn't make that play again, because he was frequently sober. And when he wasn't, he'd only stand off and answer at the slide. That's Aristotle, all hunk. He's the chap that used to play checkers with Deacon Rollins. They used empty and loaded shells for men, and when they got a king... They'd lay one on its side. Sometimes they'd jar the board and they'd all be kings and then they'd have a cussin' match, replied Hopalong, once more restored to good humor. Why, responded Jimmy, he counted his wealth over twice by mistake and sure raised a howl when he went to blow it. Thought he'd been robbed and laid behind the houses for a week looking for the feller that done it. I've heard of that cuss. He sure was the limit. "'What become of him?' asked the miner. "'He ambled up to Laramie and stuck his head in the window of that joint by the plaza "'and hollered, "'Fire!' and they did. "'He was sure a good feller all the same,' answered the bartender. "'Hopalong laughed and started for the door. "'Turning around, he looked at his miner friend and asked, "'Coming along? I'm going back now.' "'Nope. Reckon I'll hit the tiger a whirl. "'I'll stop in when I passes.' "'All right.' So long, replied Hopalong, slipping out of the door and watching for trouble. There was no opposition shown him, 
and he arrived at his claim to find Jake in a heated argument with another of the gang. Here he comes now, he said as Hopalong walked up. Tell him what you said to me. I said you made a mistake, said the other, turning to the cowboy in a half-apologetic manner. And what else? insisted Jake. Why ain't that all? asked the claim jumper's friend in feigned surprise, wishing that he had kept quiet. Well, I reckons it is if you can't back up your words, responded Jake in open contempt. Hopalong grabbed the intruder by the collar of his shirt and hauled him off the claim. You keep off this, understand? I just kicked your marshal out in the street and I'll pay you the next call. If you rambles in range of my guns, you'll sure get in the way of a slug. You and your gang wants to browse on the far side of the range or you'll miss a sunrise some morning. Scoot! Hopalong turned to his companion and smiled. What did he say? He asked genially. Aw, oh, he just shot off his mouth a little. They're all no good. I've collided with lots of them all over this country. They can't face a good man and keep their nerve. What did you say to the marshal? I told him what he was and threw him out in the street, replied Hopalong. In about two weeks, we'll have a new marshal, and he'll sure be a dandy. Yes? Why don't you take the job yourself? We're with you. Better man coming. Ever hear of Buck Peters or Red Connors of the Bar 20, Texas? Buck Peters? Seems to me I have. Did he punch for the tin cup up in Montana about 20 years back? Sure, him and Frenchie McAllister punched all over that country, and they used to paint Cheyenne, too, replied Hopalong eagerly. I knows him, then. I used to know Frenchie, too. Are they coming up here? Yes, responded Hopalong, struggling with another can while waiting for the fire to catch up. Better have some grub with me. Don't like to eat alone, invited the cowboy, the reaction of his late rage swinging him to the other extreme. When their tobacco had got well started at the close of the meal, and content had taken possession of them, Hopalong laughed quietly and finally spoke. Did you ever know Aristotle Smith when you was up in Montana? Did I? Well, me and Aristotle prospected all through that country till he got so locoed I had to watch him for fear he'd blow us both up. He greased the frying pan with dynamite one night, and we sure had to eat jerked meat and canned stuff all the rest of that trip. What made you ask? Is he coming up too? No, I reckons not. Jimmy the bartender said that he cashed in up at Laramie. Wasn't he the cuss that built that boat out there on the Arizona desert because he was scared that a flood might come? The sun sure warped that punt till it wasn't even good for a hen coop. Nope, that was sister, Annie Tompkins. He was pretty near as bad as Aristotle, though. He roped a puma up on the Sacramentos and didn't punch no more for three weeks. Well, here comes my partner, and I reckons I'll amble right along. If you needs any referee or a side partner in any ruction, you has only got to warble up my way. So long. The next ten days passed quietly, and on the afternoon of the 11th, Hopalong's minor friend paid him a visit. Jake recommends your peaches, he laughed as he shook Hopalong's hand. He says you boosted another of that crowd. That being so, I thought I would drop in and say that they're coming after you tonight, sure. Just heard of it from your friend Jimmy. You can count on us when the rush comes. But why didn't you say you was a part of Buck Peters? Me and him used to shoot up Laramie together. From what your friend James says, 
you can handle this gang by your lonesome. But if you needs any encouragement, you make some sign and we'll help the event along some. There's eight of us that'll be waiting up to get the returns and we're sure going to be in range. Gee, it's nice to run across a friend of Buck's. Ain't he a son of a gun? Asked Hopalong, delighted at the news. Then, without waiting for a reply, he went on, You're sure square, all right, and I hates to refuse your offer. But I got eighteen friends coming up, and they ought to get here by tomorrow. You tell Jimmy to head them this way when they shows up, and I'll have the claim for them. There ain't no use of you fellers getting mixed up in this. The bunch that's coming can clean out any gang this side of sunup, and I expects they'll sure be anxious to begin when they finds me eating peaches and wasting my time shooting bums. You pass the word along to your friends and tell them to lay low and see the Aurori Borealis hit this town with its tail up. Tell Jimmy to do it up good when he speaks about me holding the claim. I likes to see Buck and Red fight when they're good and mad. The miner laughed and slapped Hopalong on the shoulder. You're all right, youngster. You're just like Buck was at your age. Say now, I reckons he wasn't a regular terror on wheels. Why, I've seen him do more foolish things than any man I knows of, and I calculate that if Buck pals with you, there ain't no water in your sand. My name's Tom Holloway, he suggested. And mine's Hopalong Cassidy, was the reply. I've heard Buck speak of you. As you, well, don't it beat all how little this world is. Somebody always turning up that knows somebody you knows. I'll just amble along, Mr. Cassidy, and don't you be none bashful about calling if you needs me. Any pal of Buck's is my friend. Well, so long, said the visitor as he strode off. Then he stopped and turned around. Hey, mister, he called. They are going to roll a fire barrel down again you from behind, indicating by an outstretched arm the point from where it would start. If it burns you out, I'm going to take a band from up there, pointing to a cluster of rocks well to the rear of where the crowd would work from. And I don't care whether you likes it or not, he added to himself. Hopalong scratched his head and then laughed. Taking up a pick and shovel, he went out behind the cabin and dug a trench parallel with and about twenty paces away from the rear wall. Heaping the excavated dirt up on the near side of the cut, he stepped back and surveyed his labor with open satisfaction. Roll your fire barrel and be dogged, he muttered. Maybe she won't make a bully light for pot shots, though, he added, grinning at the execution he would do. Taking up his tools, he went up to the place from where the gang would roll the barrel and made half a dozen mounds of twigs, being careful to make them very flimsy. Then he covered them with earth and packed them gently. The mounds looked very tempting from the viewpoint of a marksman in search of earthworks, and appeared capable of stopping any rifle ball that could be fired against them. Hopalong looked them over critically and stepped back. I'd like to see the look on the face of the son of a gun that uses them for cover. Won't he be surprised? And he grinned gleefully as he pictured his shots boring through them. Then he placed in the center of each a chip or a pebble or something that he thought would show up well in the firelight. Returning to the cabin, he banked it up well with dirt and gravel and tossed a few shovelfuls up on the roof as a safety valve to his exuberance. When he entered the door, he had another idea and fell to work scooping out a shallow cellar, deep enough to shelter him when lying at full length. Then he stuck his head out of the window and grinned at the false covers with their prominent bullseyes. 
when that prize-winning gang of ossified idiots runs up again these fortifications, they sure will be disgusted. I'll bet four dollars and seven cents they'll think their medicine man's no good. I hopes that puff-eyed marshal will pick out that hump with the chip on it. And he hugged himself in anticipation. He then cut down a sapling and fastened it to the roof, and on it he tied his neckerchief, which fluttered valiantly and with defiance in the light breeze. I sure hopes they appreciates that, he remarked whimsically as he went inside the hut and closed the door. The early part of the evening passed in peace, and Hopalong, tired of watching in vain, wished for action. Midnight came, and it was not until half an hour before dawn that he was attacked. Then a noise sent him to a loophole, where he fired two shots at skulking figures some distance off. A fusillade of bullets replied. One of them ripped through the door at a weak spot and drilled a hole in a can of the everlasting peaches. Hopalong set the can in the frying pan and then flitted from loophole to loophole, shooting quick and straight. Several curses told him that he had not missed, and he scooped up a finger of peach juice. Shots thudded into the walls of his fort in an unceasing stream, and as it grew lighter, several whizzed through the loopholes. He kept close to the earth and waited for the rush, and when it came, sent it back, minus two of its members. As he reloaded his colts, a bullet passed through his shirt sleeve, and he promptly nailed the marksman. He looked out a crack in the rear wall and saw the top of an adjoining hill crowned with spectators, all of whom were armed. Some time later, he repulsed another attack and heard a faint cheer from his friends on the hill. Then he saw a barrel, blazing from end to end, roll out from the place he had so carefully covered with mounds. It gathered speed and bounded over the rough ground, flashed between two rocks and leaped into the trench, where it crackled and roared in vain. Now, said Hopalong, blazing at the mounds as fast as he could fire his rifle, we'll just see what you thinks of your nice little covers. Yells of consternation and pain rang out in a swelling chorus, and legs and arms jerked and flopped, one man in his astonishment at the shot that tore open his cheek sitting up in plain sight of the marksman. Roars of rage floated up from the main body of the besiegers, and the discomfited remnant of barrel rollers broke for real cover. Then he stopped another rush from the front, made upon the supposition that he was thinking only of the second detachment. A hearty cheer arose from Tom Holloway and his friends, ensconced in their rocky position, and it was taken up by those on the hill who danced and yelled their delight at the battle, to them more humorous than otherwise. This recognition of his prowess from men of the caliber of his audience made him feel good, and he grinned. Gee, I'll bet Holloway and his friends is sure itching to get in this, he murmured, firing at a head that was shown for an instant. Wonder what Rudd'll say when Jimmy tells him. Bet'll plow dust like a cyclone. And Hopalong laughed, picturing to himself the satiation of Red's anger. Old red-headed son of a gun, murmured the cowboy affectionately. He sure can fight. As he squinted over the sights of his rifle, his eye caught sight of a moving body of men as they cantered over the flats about two miles away. In his eagerness, he forgot to shoot and carefully counted them. Nine, he grumbled. Wonder what's the matter? Fearing that they were not his friends. Then a second body, numbering eight, cantered into sight and followed the first. Whoop! There's the redhead! he shouted, dancing in his joy. Now! 
he shouted at the peach can joyously. You wait about 30 minutes and you'll sure reckon Hades has busted loose. He grabbed up his colts, which he kept loaded for repelling rushes, and recklessly emptied them into the bushes and between the rocks and trees, searching every likely place for a human target. Then he slipped his rifle in a loophole and waited for good shots, having worked off the dangerous pressure of his exuberance. Soon he heard a yell from the direction of the miner's rest and fell to jamming cartridges into his revolvers so that he could sally out and join in the fray by the side of Red. The thunder of madly pounding hoofs rolled up the trail, and soon a horse and rider shot around the corner and headed for the cops. Three more raced close behind and then a bunch of six, followed by the rest, spread out and searched for trouble. Red, a colt in each hand and hatless, stood up in his stirrups and sent shot after shot into the fleeting mob, which he could not follow on account of the nature of the ground. Buck wheeled and dashed down the trail again with Red a close second, the others packed in a solid mass and after them. At the first level stretch, the newcomers swept down and hit their enemies, going through them like a knife through cheese. Hopalong danced up and down with rage when he could not find his horse and had to stand and yell, a spectator. The fight drifted in among the buildings where it became a series of isolated duels and soon Hopalong saw panic-stricken horses carrying their riders out of the other side of the town. Then he went gunning for the man who had rustled his horse. He was unsuccessful and returned to his peaches. Soon the riders came up, and when they saw Hopalong shove a peach into his powder-grimed mouth, they yelled their delight. "'You old maverick, eating peaches like you was afraid we'd get some!' shouted Red indignantly, leaping down and running up to his pal as though to thrash him. Hopalong grinned pleasantly and fired a peach against Red's eye. "'I was saving that one for you, Reddy,' he remarked as he avoided Buck's playful kick. "'You fellers, get to work and dig up some wealth. I'm hungry.' Then he turned to Buck. "'You're the marshal of this town, and any son of a gun what don't like it had better right. Oh, yes, here comes Tom Holloway. Remember him?' Buck turned and faced the miner, and his hand went out with a jerk. "'Well, I'll be locoed if I didn't punch with you on the tin cup,' he said." You sure did, and you was pretty devilish. But that there Cassidy of yourn beats anything I ever seen. He's a good kid, replied Buck, glancing to where Red and Hopalong were quarreling as to who had eaten the most pie in a contest held some years before. Johnny, nosing around, came upon the perforated and partially scattered piles of earth and twigs and vented his disgust of them by kicking them to pieces. Hey, Hoppy! Oh, Hoppy, he called. What are these things? Hopalong jammed Red's hat over that person's eyes and replied, Oh, them some loaded dice I fixed for them. You son of a gun, sputtered Red as he wrestled with his friend in the exuberance of his pride. You son of a gun. You sure ought to be ashamed to treat him that way. Sure, replied Hopalong, but I ain't. End of chapter 11, Holding the Claim. Recording by Corey Jaffone.